You should be opening your Bibles. If you just lay them in your lap, they're probably going to open to Matthew. So if you want to open them to Matthew chapter 20, you'll be right where we need to be. And uh, for our Indiana people, I don't know, John introduced uh, Caroline and her friend Mason. Mason's uh, living over Dawsonville or Dahlonega area, but he's from northern Indiana. And uh, for Woody and all you others, uh, we're going to open this morning with a, with a clip uh, from the, one of my favorite shows, The Hoosiers. in tournament play and not talk about the next step until you've climbed the one in front of you. I'm sure going to the state finals is beyond your wildest dreams, so let's just keep it right there. Forget about the crowds, the size of the school, their fancy uniforms, and remember what got you here. Focus on the fundamentals that we've gone over time and time again. And most important, don't get caught up thinking about winning or losing this game. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. Okay? Being able to stay focused is important. Small school, true story. And if you've watched the movie Hoosiers, you understand that. But I love the reminder is, is don't get carried away with, the, with a lot of the other distractions. Well, as a, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the ability to stay focused is also critical. And matter of fact, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ modeled that ability for us. See, Jesus came to earth what? To seek and to save the lost. He came on a great rescue mission for mankind. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve. We've been talking about in this 20th chapter of Matthew about the greatness in the kingdom is not found in those who are at the top, but those who serve. He came to, to, to save. He came to serve. He came to heal. He came to uh, and he came with all this understanding that all these things would require great sacrifice. And he's been preparing and telling his disciples about that. And uh, back a couple of weeks ago, we read in verse 18 and 19, where Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge, and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. And then last week we looked in verse 28, where he says that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus never lost his focus. 
And uh, as he continues toward Jerusalem this morning, we're going to look in the, in the final verses of this chapter 20, Lord willing. And we're going to see how he continued to keep his focus. Now, his face is set toward Jerusalem. The, the days of, his, of most of his earthly ministry are, are behind him. The great crowds, uh, he's, he's taught, he's healed, he's, he's confirmed that he was the Messiah. And now as he travels literally up the winding road from Jericho, up a couple of thousand feet in elevation to Jerusalem, where he, Jerusalem, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be, go through the mock trials, he's going to be crucified, and he's going to give his life a ransom for many. But in doing that, even on the way to the cross, he still has time for those who reach out and call to him. Let's look at it this morning. And notice in verse 29, as they departed from Jericho, there was, first of all, notice there was a great crowd. It says a great multitude of people followed him. And I'm convinced that that uh, a lot in this crowd followed him because they believed he was the Christ. They had seen him do miracles. They may possibly have heard his teaching. And so they followed him because they believed he was who he said he was. But also I believe that in the crowd, that there were some in this crowd that followed him because they could sense that the, uh, the tension and the drama in the, in the last couple of years here in Jerusalem, especially with this young t- uh, rabbi, this young teacher on the scene, and the, uh, the clash with the, with the uh, uh, established religious order was, had already come to open boil, where that now they understood there was a, there was a price on this young teacher's head, and the, the, the elite were just looking for a way or an excuse or an opportunity to silence him, to kill him. So Jesus is going up to Jerusalem for that reason, and there's a crowd that's following. It's a great crowd. Notice that. But notice in verse 30 that there's also a great need. It says, and behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Now, blindness uh, was very was a lot more common then than now, and, and still today in some parts of the world, those of you that, that travel a lot, uh, understand that, that uh, this is still prevalent, and, and a lot of reasons uh, could be from injury, from an accident, could be from disease, a lot of disease that didn't have medicines to treat it, uh, but blindness was a horrible thing to happen. Because blind, when you, when you were blind, you didn't have the ability to care for, you didn't have the ability to care for yourself, let alone to care for your family. And here was, here was two men. And they were, they were most likely on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem because this road saw a lot of traffic. And if they sat and begged on, at this road, they would be able to at least to reach out to a lot of people because they lived at the mercy of others for what they would give them so that they could, so that they could uh, exist. And so there's a great crowd with Jesus, but there's a great need in these two men. And these two men, when they heard that Jesus was coming, they got excited. Now, I was thinking about that this week. These two blind men heard Jesus would come. They really got excited. But I thought this same Jesus that's going up to Jerusalem to give his life as a, as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, this same Jesus laid down his life there, was laid in a tomb, but came back alive. And as he ascended into heaven, the, the angels told those who were gazing on, this same Jesus that you watch go out of sight is coming again. 
And the preachers have preached it. And God's word is clear. Jesus is returning. And I thought, man, does the news, does the reality that Jesus is coming back excite me? We should be excited. I remember I was still teaching at the school in 1988. And there's a little book that came out of 88 reasons why Jesus was coming in 1988. And, and many people thought the Lord was returning then. And indeed he could. And I remember one day I got a, got a call and this young woman came and she, and, and she had the book and she said, listen, this says that Jesus is coming. And I said, well, he is returning. Uh, so we don't know when, but he is returning. And she said, I'm not ready for him to return. And I said, we need to do something about that. She said, that's why I called you. Let's do something about that. Folks, the reality and what happens is sometimes when it comes to the forefront, but we never let it get out of sight. He is returning. He's coming back. Are you excited or are you concerned about his return? Now, there's a little bit of both in me. I'm excited. I'm like, say, I, you know, that's exciting to me to think. We've got, we've got Mr. Gary that's with us this morning. And it was the first Sunday since his wife was with the Lord. And he, he talked to me about praying. He said, Jerry, he said, I, I prayed for my Bonnie. And he said, I, I prayed and I've asked God for a miracle. I want him to take away the cancer. But he said, Jerry, 50, almost 55 years, I think, Sandy, your, your dad and mom. And he said, but Jerry, he said, the greatest miracle of all is she's where she wants to be. And I can be with her. And I, and I get excited when the Lord returns. I get excited that the craziness in the world and the, and the attack on, on, on uh, the character of Christ and the character of God in the world. One day, every eye is going to see. Every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord. But we have the opportunity now while we live here to confess him and receive him not only as Lord but as our Savior. Are you excited when you think about the Lord's return? Or are you concerned like this young lady was and said, I'm not ready for that? Or maybe you're concerned because like most of everybody in here, we've got loved ones, we've got family, or we've got friends. Every night, Barbara and I pray for our family. Because in our families, on both sides of our family, we've got people that at one time were in church. And today they're not. Now that doesn't get you to heaven being in church. But I just want to tell you, I've found that it's a little bit easier for me to stay close to Jesus when I'm in church. You know? And, and a lot of times we get hurt and all these things. And I just, I just want to... It's kind of like Barbie and me pastoring for so many years and have seen a lot of things happen. And, and uh, the other day, uh, I, I, uh, I've learned that time is precious. It's precious. Because I know that we, none of us know the day or the hour. We leave home in the morning. We don't know if we're going to return in the evening. We leave to go to town. We don't know if we're going to come back. The other day, I walked in and, and uh, Friday afternoon, and, and, and for no reason. Uh, and we were, we were talking about something. And all of a sudden, I, I said something. And it was, it was hard, it was wrong, it was bad. And I walked into the kitchen, I walked in the kitchen, Barbara's in the front room, and I said to myself, wow, that was, that was straight from hell, that was horrible. And I'm standing there thinking, I need, I need to go back and apologize. That's, that's, yeah, I need to go. I'm not going to tell you what it was, so shut up, don't even think about that. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but the longer I stood there, the more, and I realized, you need to do this now. You need to do this now. And I, I, I literally thought, what if, what if I went home to be with the Lord right there at the kitchen sink? It could happen. And what if those were the last words my wife heard me say? And it grieved my heart. And I remember walking there saying, hey, I, that, was, that, was, that was so wrong. That was not so unchristlike. And she was already, she had, she had been, I know she had been praying for him while I was there. She, I, she wasn't seeking him on me, but she was praying. And I said, I need to, I need to ask your forgiveness. You know, we need, to, we need to live aware of the time and aware of the fact that the Lord's returning. 
and we need to be excited. And if we're not excited, we need to be concerned. Every night we pray for our, our family and we pray for those around us. These men heard that Jesus was coming by and they got all excited. And a matter of fact, they got so excited that the great crowd never bothered them. So as, as, they, as they heard him get, cl- get closer, they cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Now, the fact that they referred to him as the son of David, I believe, is saying that, hey, they're acknowledging him not only as a good teacher, which they had probably heard about, not only maybe as a a man who could perform miracles, which they had heard about, but they're acknowledging that he is the Messiah, the one that was promised to, to come. And so they're saying, you are the Messiah. Have mercy on us. Well, there was a great need. And they heard that Jesus was coming, and they got excited, and they cried out. But notice what happened. The crowd, in verse 32, no, verse 31, the crowd rebuked them because they they wouldn't be quiet. Now, it says, and the multitude rebuked them because they should hold, that they should hold their peace. I just figured out that the crowd told them, shut up. And, uh, and, and, but but listen. When the need's great enough, the crowd can't keep it from Jesus. I, I think I said this morning that the crowd tried to keep Nicodemus from Jesus. I think it was Zacchaeus, uh, and my, only my family would laugh at me and tell me that. But I, whether it was Zacchaeus or whether it was Nicodemus or whether it's Jerry Helton, the crowd will try to keep you from Jesus. But the crowd, and, 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 and so the crowd goes to these two guys, and they, they tell them, shh, be quiet. This, the Lord's coming. Maybe they said, hey, here, maybe they put a few coins out. Here, take this and go get you some bread and, and be quiet. This is, not, this is not business. It's not yours. This is his business. But when they tried to shut them up, verse 31 says that they cried the more louder. They cried out, hey, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Have mercy on us. And verse 32 says that Jesus stopped. Have you ever wondered what it would take to get Jesus to stop and to look your way? Wow. He stops and stood still. Look at this. And he called them. Hey, bring them up here. Bring those two guys up here. Now, in the past, in the past, quite often when Jesus had healed a blind, a blind, he'd healed blind eyes before, and he'd healed other diseases, and it always kind of, I'm like, why did, you remember when he would, he'd healed him, the one guy, and he, he healed him, and he said, now, go and don't tell anybody what's happened. You remember that? Remember reading that? And I'm always thinking, golly, bum, why did he say that? I mean, like, here's a man that's been blind, you know, and he's been blind, and, and somebody's led him around, or he's t- and Jesus says, now, Go and don't tell anybody. And you're thinking, okay, but I see. I mean, what am I going to just close my eyes every once in a while peeking? And somebody's going to say, hey, you're looking. You can see. Well, Jesus before, remember before, he knew that his time was not yet. But now it's his time. What does that mean? Well, as we move into chapter 21, we're going to see that's the triumphal entry. We're going to see the culmination of things quickly coming to a head as he heads to the cross. But he stops. And he calls them. This time, it's not going to be done in secret. This time, it's not going to be don't, tell any, go, don't go tell anybody. This time, he calls them in front of the crowd. And he says, bring them here. And they come to Jesus. Now, the next question that Jesus asks is one of the most profound questions 
Jesus looked and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Richard Sharp uh, is one of our Operation Mobilization. Uh, he's been with them for, for since, since Operation, since OM was a pup. He's been with them a long time. And uh, remember Richard, uh, he, he he's, does a lot of things, but witnessing, and, and remember the last few years, he's had this one thing, this one question. And one, part of the way that he bridges and builds relationships, opens doors with people to share the gospel is as he talks with them, He'll ask me, he'll say, if you could ask God for one thing today, what would you ask him for? And, I, and Barbie and I, we've been able to do that. We've, there's been waitresses or waiters or people in line different times, and we'll strike up a conversation, and they'll be talking. Matter of fact, we, uh, different times. And I said, hey, if you could ask God for one thing today, what would you ask him? And I've had them stop, and they respond. And, of course, then you quickly say, can I just pray with you quickly? And you pray with them quickly. But I thought about this question. Jesus asked these two blind men, what do you want me to do for you? But what if Jesus was asking you this morning, Jerry, or Alvin, Bill, Larry, what do you want me to do for you today? What do you want me to do? Now, I've thought about that. And these, uh, these blind men could have said, hey, we're, we're, we're always begging. Could you, could, you give us, could you give us some money so we don't have to sit here begging? Begging. That sounds so weird. I guess, I guess if you're downtown, you're begging, but if you're out on the country road, you're begging. But they, 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 they wanting money. You know, they could have asked for something, and he could have, he could have granted that, and it, they would have took it, and it would have been spent. Eventually, it would all been gone, and they'd still been left there blind. They, you know, they could have, they could have asked him for a, a lot of things. But they said, Lord, that you would open our eyes. That's a greatest need. Open our eyes. What would we ask for? If you could ask God for anything today, what would you ask for? Again, money's not a bad thing. You have to have a little bit of it to survive. And, and sometimes the money pressure can get so great that you just feel like you're being, um, you know, you, you feel like you're, you're drowning and there's no way out. Lord, just be debt free. If you could just get debt free, man, it would be so different. Take this pressure off. For some... This morning, maybe there's maybe a physical need. Maybe there's that those that because of the treatment you're going through or the diagnosis you just received. And Jesus says, "What do you want me to What do you want me to do for you today?" And maybe you're saying, "Hey, just if you could take care of this." I asked a person this week. I said, "I said if if you could ask God for one thing today, what would what would you ask for?" And this person said to me, "They thought for a minute." And it blew me away. They said, if I could ask God for one thing, I think I'd ask God for my children to be passionately in love with Jesus. Passionately in love with Jesus. I thought, wow. So that was earlier in the week. So Thursday, I'm driving in the monsoon to go over and watch Hartzog and some of the others at the cross-country meet at Hazel. It rained like cats and dogs. I've never been as, well, I have been as wet, but only when I go swimming. And so I'm, I'm driving on the way over to the, to, the, to the cross country, and I'm listening to the radio. Thursday, we're still, still talking about the, you know, the Kavanaugh thing. It's, it's all on the radio, and that's, I'm listening to that. And I thought, I've heard this stuff, and I've heard it. And all of a sudden, this, late, uh, this person's response to me. And so I turned the, the 
radio off. Just convicted about the response. If I could ask God for one thing today, I'd ask him that my family, my children would be passionately in love with Jesus Christ. And so Jesus and me, we just had a good conversation. We went over there and then they won the cross-country meeting. That was just like chocolate cake on top of the soup beans, but it was good. What would you ask for? What would you ask for? Would you ask for freedom from those chains of, of addictions or, those, of those, or that sin that's keeping you in bondage all the time that, that you just seem to can't ever break free of? There was a great crowd. There was a great need. But the great need is, can I say it in North Georgia way, the great need is fixing to encounter a great God. The great need is getting ready to encounter a great God. Because notice what happens. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, just open our eyes. Now look at verse 34. So Jesus had compassion on them. Wow. Some translation says what there? One, some, one translation says he felt sorry for them, I think. He pitied them. I think so. one trans, another translation says he was moved with compassion. It was, it was a matter of seeing their great need and doing something about it. That's what it was. And I'm just glad sometimes we see needs and we, and we feel so helpless because we can't do anything about it. But when we get those needs, whether they're ours or whether they're some others that we know, when we get those needs to Jesus Christ, there is nothing that he can't do. There's nothing. Is there anything impossible with God? Huh? Well, that's about 2%. For the rest of you, let me ask, is there anything that's impossible with God? No. Now, think about what we've just affirmed. I, it's biblical. It's biblical. When the angel Gabriel was appearing to a little young virgin girl and saying to her, you're going to have a child and it's going to be God's son. And she said, I'm a virgin. I've, I've never even known a man sexually. And he said, with men, this is impossible. What did he tell her? But with God, all things are possible. And it was just like God said it would be. Other places in God's word, it tells that. But what happens? We live in a world that's so restricted we live in what, and we're restricted by what we see physically, what we understand intellectually, or what we know intellectually, or can feel, you know, with all the things that's going around us. But God is beyond and greater than all this. And so God was, Jesus was moved with compassion. And notice what he did. He touched their eyes. Wow. It wasn't one of these things that, that and I don't, but again, we don't know. Maybe their eyes were, maybe there's a, maybe there'd been a, a, an accident. Maybe there was no eyeball in the socket. Maybe it looked bad. Maybe it was from disease and it was bad. Maybe they had a black patch over it. Maybe they had rags around the head. We don't know. It would have been easier for, you know, for Jesus to look back and say, let me take a look at that thing. Stay over there. I, I can see it right here. Or, you know, but he didn't. He did the unthinkable. He did the unthinkable. He touched the untouchable. 
And in our lives, when we get a great, our great need before Jesus Christ, he will wade into the mess in your life. If he waded into the mess in my life, and he will lay his hand right where the hurt is and right where the wrong is, and he can touch it. And notice what happens. And Scripture says what? Well, they went, no, it doesn't say, you know what it says? My word, the word that I'm reading says, and immediately, immediately, say that word with me, immediately, their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. What do you want me to do for you today, Jesus said. And they said, Lord, can you open our eyes? I can do that. But I want you to look at what happens next. Because I'm convinced somebody came up after first service and they said, man, it was just more than giving them eyesight, Jerry. I said, why do you think that? Why do you think it's just more? And they looked at me like, well, dummy, you're the preacher. You, t- you talked about it. <laughs> Notice what happens here. It says, then they received their sight. Now, in the last phrase, and I just underlined this last part because I had missed this so many times before. I'd read this. I'd never noticed this. It says, and they, what? Followed him. And when I, when I read that this past week, I thought, you got to be kidding me. Somebody put it in my Bible there. <laughs> had never noticed. But the word that's used for followed is more than, it doesn't mean that they just walked along now with the crowd that was, follow, that was going with Jesus. That's not what it's talking about. It's more than that. It's, it's that now, it's, it's saying that now they became followers of Christ. They were believers. They were We'd say today, they became, they, they accepted him. They were Christians. They walked, they followed him. They went, not only where he went, but they believed in him. Jesus is a great example this morning. We're getting ready to have communion. And Jesus is a great example of keeping his focus, even on the way out of Jericho, up to Jerusalem, where some pretty, pretty tough stuff is waiting. Jesus stopped when he heard the cry of two men that had a great need and they needed to meet a great Savior. He stopped. He continued to seek and to save. He continued to serve. He continued to heal. And he was willing to make the sacrifice. What a, what a Savior. We're going to pray and then we'll come back and I want to, I want to, I want to close this, the message this morning with some words from the Psalms 103. Let me pray and then let's look at those. Father, there, there is so much in your word this morning before us that is, uh, it, Lord, it's, it's almost like trying to, for the cow, one cow to eat the whole bell of hay, it's almost more than we can, can get in there. But you love us unconditionally. You, 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 you hear our call when we cry out in faith, believing, and trust in you. And you're able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we even ask or think you can do. You can do whatever you want to do. You're God. There's nothing you can't do. There's no one that's beyond your reach. There's nothing that's impossible to you. Lord, this morning, let us be desperate as these two men were desperate when we realize that you're asking us today, what do you want me to do for you? Some of you this morning, as we just wait just a few moments with our eyes closed, because I don't want you to be distracted. I don't want you to be distracted by the crowd. I don't want you to be distracted. There's a good group here this morning. There's, there's, there's more, than, more than 20. There's a good group. 
but I don't want you to be distracted by them. For just for a minute, can you just picture just you and Jesus? And you're just sitting down and there's a there's a there's a creek. It's it's enough water running fast enough that you can hear it. It's right there. Sounds so fresh, so cool. It's a cool place, and you just sit down with him. And you know he loves you. And you know there's nothing you can say to him that's going to make him not love you. There's nothing you can say to him that he don't already know about you, and he's chose to spend this time with you. And he says to you, what would you want me to do for you? For some of you this morning, it may be, Lord, I... This is all strange and new to me, and I've never trusted you as my Savior. Can can you forgive everything I've ever done? Can you save me and give me a new heart and a new life and a new start? And he smiles and he said, that's why I came. I'm so glad you asked that. For those of you that have been been saved and walked with the Lord, and by the way, if if that's you this morning, if that's you and you've never asked him into your heart, Why don't you do that right now? Why don't you say, Lord, the greatest need in my life is for you right now. Would you come in? Save me. Forgive me. You betcha he will. Everything you've ever done, he'll give you peace. The Bible says that he reconciles us back to God. He puts us back in a right relationship with God. The psalmist said, my feet was in a miry place, but he lifted me up and he set my feet on solid rock Solid ground, and he put a new song. I used to say he'll bring you up, he'll set you up, and he'll tune you up. Just ask him. You may be here this morning, and as a Christian, you've just, it's been a long time, and all of a sudden you realize, hey, I've been, I've not even been, I've not even been asking him, man. Scripture says sometimes you ask, you have not because you ask not. And sometimes you ask, and you ask just to, for your selfish reasons, but what's your greatest need? What do you need him to do today? Lord, I'm, as we go to the, the writer of one of the Psalms, I'm so aware he must have had one of these moments like we're having this morning where your goodness and your greatness absolutely just overwhelmed him. In your name I pray. Psalms 103, I've asked Craig to put it up in the first 18 verses out of the New Living Bible just because I loved it. Listen to what it says. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I'll praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. And then he starts writing them. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and he crowns me with love and tender mercies. And I I imagine he's just getting excited as he writes this. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all those who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve for his unfailing love 
toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we're gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments.